This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Executive Presence Morsels, special book edition. Today, we have Kevin Strauss, a man who loves solving problems. He has earned over 75 patents and published more than 10 peer-reviewed papers across multiple industries. He has earned two industry awards for innovation. Kevin's ideas have helped save lives around the world and generated billions of dollars in revenue. When he's not working, Kevin enjoys expedition backpacking, is an award-winning ballroom dancer, and a 20-year injury-free Ironman triathlete and coach. And the reason why we're here today is he is also the author of a newly released book, Innovate the 1%, which identifies seven areas that have a profound impact on your ability to innovate, which you may not have considered or intentionally nurtured before. Kevin, how are you feeling today? Feeling pretty good. And I'm, I'm really energized to chat with you. Yeah. So, Kevin, you and I know each other. We've actually met in person before the whole COVID fiasco at a, at a conference that our dear friend um, Sarah Elkins throws no longer virtual. And I had heard a little bit about your inventing background just in conversations we had. And one thing that really came across to me in the conversations with you and, and also um, through reading the book is you have like this spirit of caring about caring about people and caring about helping. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how that maybe informs your, your work or just how you, how you move about life? Um, well, thank you for that, um, for even recognizing that, because I don't even know if that's something that I've really thought so, so hard about, like specifically caring. Um, but, you know, people are fun you know when you when you're having fun together when you're working together it's just so much fun um of course when things aren't you know going well with relationships um wow everything can fall apart really fast um and it can it can hurt a lot but it's just so fun to be with people who are like-minded or working on the similar mission that you're working on and vibing off each other it just, it's just really fun and energizing. And, you know, maybe I'm just kind of extra addicted to an oxytocin hormone hit. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm vibing off of. I'm not, I'm not sure really. Well, I, I noticed um, in your book, there were certainly lots of instances where the innovation and the thinking was not just you locked up in a room like a monk. You know, there was a lot of contacts with other people and, and partnerships with others. Tell us a little bit about oh, yeah. that part of the process. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, working in a silo, like by yourself, um, I've just not found that to be very productive um, when it comes to solving problems, problem after problem after problem, or coming up with project after project. 
it's it's through the bouncing ideas off of each other and hearing what they're saying and adding your ideas and getting your ideas shot down but then but then hearing how they spin it in a new way and it's just this volley back and forth and you know it doesn't really matter um you know who they are if they're in it with you then you have a much much greater chance to to move forward you know and that's where these innovations are are coming from you know i might be thinking sometimes um off by myself on something here or there but then i got to go back to the to the team or to a person and hash it out all over again and see like does it work does it not work where is it going to go you know and i love the imagery uh when you use the word volley right like with the ideas and and energy going back and forth and it reminded me of a, a concept um i learned from your book which uh maybe if i stop and think about it it's obvious but really it's not obvious because we often don't think this way and that's uh this concept that you share that if you want more innovation create an environment for bad ideas to be part of the process i just i just love that right like like who says that like let's have more bad ideas so we can innovate uh, like an award winning idea talk to us a little bit about how you came to that realization and and maybe how that's played out uh in your own career uh wow that's so funny because you know when you mentioned bad ideas you know my first thought is wow that is a boss or manager's nightmare right like bad ideas like no we have to be productive we have to produce more we have to make more money um but but the reality is is most ideas are bad <laughs> i mean that's what i've learned you know like including my ideas i mean i am not immune to this in any way shape or form and and that's really where the title comes from um you know which i i discuss in the book uh, i think in the preface but i'll share with the audience quickly innovate the 1% is because when i was at this one particular company uh, receiving disclosures or ideas um for spinal implants um i was responsible for receiving these disclosures these are like formally disclosing sharing their idea with us and in the 7 plus years i accepted more than 400 disclosures and only 4 of those 400 actually turned into a marketed product. Oh. That's the numbers. That's the 1%. That's the 1%. Now, you know, that's not going to be, you know, across all industries and right, every, right. you know, area, but that that was my experience and that is literally the number is 1% of the ideas. And that did not include any of the ideas from employees. This is from outside um of the company but that's where the where it comes from so most ideas really suck <laughs> that's just the <laughs> truth of it you know i mean thomas edison figured out you know a thousand ways not to make an incandescent light bulb uh -huh. so you know 999 of those ideas did not work but you never know where one of those bad ideas might turn into something else that that does work. Yeah, and to use the numbers you were sharing, like if you just took 
or received four ideas, the chances of any of those being the good four ideas is like infinitesimal. Yeah, it's it's like hitting the lottery. And it happens, you know. Yeah. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg did it, right? He had basically one idea, you know, and it turned into Facebook. Like, wow, like, holy cow, you know, that's incredible. So um, it can happen, but it's pretty rare, I think. And, and, you know, make creating an environment where more ideas can flow freely. Um, even bad ideas, you know, to flow freely. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means it was a bad idea. That's all. So what was so interesting is, you know, it, it's not an algorithm you you create to do it. It's it's more about the the principles of of how you unleash what's already in your mind. And one area that you talk about is um, knowing more and being more curious and and aware and and mindful. And I feel like that's something that's in all of our grasps, but sometimes we actually shut that off and, and don't see like great signals or ideas that are in front of us. And you talk about that quite a bit in the book. Maybe you can share a little bit about when you came to this realization or, or how it impacted, uh, you know, ideas that you ended up having. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and that is interesting. Very astute, actually, observation, uh, Joe, that it's not a step-by-step, do this, do that type of book where, boom, now you're going to be a, you know, an incredible innovator. It's more of setting a framework and an environment, which is something that managers and teachers and school administrators can do is, is create this environment. Um, so, you know, with regard to being observant of your world, you know, I think I got this mostly from my father and all of the different, you know, activities and interests that he had and that we did together, like for the first 18 years of my life. Um, I mean, he was into everything. You know, we we built an addition, a sunroom on the house. We built a shed. We added skylights. We built tables for the dining room, the living room. Um, we restored a 1968 Mustang convertible. Um, just, just all these different things. And, and along the way, I just became very observant of every, everything in my life. It's almost kind of, you know, it could be a detriment in a way where you're so, you could be distracted by anything. It's the whole like, oh, squirrel, you know, and let me go right <laughs> over there. Oh, shiny object. <laughs> right. And, and go check that out. Um, but the funny thing is, is you know, I might think about something, I, I might see something. And I think I shared some examples, you know, in the book of, of like a license plate that's falling off of a car. And, and why is it doing that? And what broke? And was it the screw head? Or the, like, I'm, I'm just working through all these things. And they pop into my head, I play with it for a moment or two. And then I just move on, you know, and it just goes away. And the next thing happens, you know, I pick up my water bottle and, oh, they, they made it longer and skinnier, you know, rather than short and fat. And it, it's just, you know, why did they choose this bottle cap versus like, these are the things, I, just everything in my environment um, I'm looking at, but I don't just see it. I play with it for a moment in my head 
and then I move on. And then another time I might replay that in my head or I'll see something similar and I'll be like, oh, that bottle is like this bottle. And why did they mold it that way or vacuum form it that way, right? That I'm thinking about the manufacturing side of it. And by doing this on just a regular subconscious, unconscious basis, I'm then able to, when I need to, I can pull from all these different areas of my life, whether it's car and carpentry and spinal implants or surgery or triathlon or backpacking or whatever I'm interested in. And, and everyone else has more than one interest in their life, I'm sure. So they can pull from all these different areas and just mash them together in a whole new way that could solve a real problem. Yeah, I, I love a lot of the examples you gave in your book about this sort of inspiration where you take something from one field or area and not even something that you, you may be studying. It just may be something you observe or like a memory that you have that ends up being, let's just say, the spark for the breakthrough. Because, you know, people often think of uh, inventors, you know, they just toil over the technical details and they go so deep into that and they're not like exposed to anything else. But in the your examples, it was really eye-opening to me. It was almost like without that exposure to things outside, the thing that you were working on, you would have been less likely to have the breakthroughs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my God. You, that was amazing what you just said there. I, I, I can't even grasp it all. Um, but it, it's pulling from those other areas. And, you know, the classic example in the book is that pedicle screw that I describe um, that the, the team was struggling with. And I had an idea of how my mom's hanging potted plant in her kitchen, this is growing up in the 1970s, how this hanging potted plant with these three little fake plastic cords came down to grab the lip of a potted plant. And, and that's what I used to apply to this implant. And, and then the, the whole project just took off. But it's not just the technical, that's what you said, that, that you, you really honed in on that because it's not just the technical side. Um, you know, sure, I'm an engineer and, and I love the math and science and physics of it all. But, you know, there was the other um, example about the rail spinal implant um, for like scoliosis and deformity surgery where, you know, we need, it's not just the implant, it's how do we get this tested? How do we get it? Um, cleared through the FDA. You know, how do we clean it? How do we, how do we make it? How do we package it with the existing instrument set? How do we help the surgeons? How do we train the surgeons on it? These are all aspects that have nothing to do with the physics of the I-beam construction of this implant, which came from schooling. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So it's taking all those other non-technical areas. Yeah. You know, the the other thing that was interesting um, that you share, and 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 I think we've all experienced this as human beings, this whole concept of um, try hard. You know, often when you're trying too hard to to make a friend, to learn a skill, to to acquire whatever, it, it's almost as if we were actually 
repulsing it. We're like pushing it away. The harder we try, I always use the metaphor of like a, like a cork that's bobbing in the water and you move towards it and, and it actually pushes the thing away versus just relaxing. And, and the waves may actually bring it to you to the point where you can grab it. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about how that's kind of played into your process and experience uh, with the innovation and, and thinking that you've done. Yeah, definitely. I mean, your analogy of the water, um, it, it made me instantly think about quicksand. And the more you struggle in quicksand, the faster you're going to sink. Mm -hmm. And it's when you just relax and, and try to be still and, and not struggle is when you'll have a better chance of escaping it. And, you know, this happens, well, more often than, than I probably should admit, um, but it was successful, right? A lot of times. But, you know, the afternoon can be a tough time at the office and, you know, you get sleepy. And if I'm training for triathlon in before and after work, I'm tired, you know? <laughs> so I can't, you know, sometimes it's hard to stay awake, but sometimes, you know, when you're sort of falling asleep, but you're working with someone at the same time, um, you sort of can drift off a little bit into this. It's basically like stage one of sleep um, where you're kind of floating between half awake and half asleep. And to me that, well, and, and this is also in the science, but that's when your subconscious, all this information that's in your subconscious has a chance to bridge over to your conscious and come out. And, you know, that's where, many different ideas came to be for implants, for instruments. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, the idea for this book happened that way. I didn't even include that in the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> Second <Yeah>. edition. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> right? That's so funny. It was, uh, it was literally over the Thanksgiving break, this recent one in 2021, where I, I had a dream about, about, getting the word out about how to innovate. And, and I woke up in the middle of the night, it was like one o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm still groggy, of course. And I just started talking to my Google speaker, hopefully it doesn't turn on now. Um, and just sharing ideas in this half asleep state to my speaker. And I, and I was like outlining what I wanted to do in this book you know, I was able to bridge that gap from these, from the complete, you know, unconscious in a dream, half asleep, wake up, and then spit it out into there. My partner was the speaker, you know, so yeah, that's how the book happened. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so not everyone who uh, is going to listen to this is going to have a, a role where they're actually, you know, formally required to innovate something, right? I mean, you know, they may have some other role. However, and, and I think it's pretty clear in the book that, you know, innovation just, just doesn't apply to getting patents and in inventions. What advice would you give to someone who maybe at work is ready to start to be more innovative, right? Like they've developed the expertise, um, you know, they're, they're getting more dangerous and they've been doing the same thing, but now they're ready to embrace maybe some innovation uh, and, and to bring more value that way. What sort of advice would you have for someone uh, in that position? Besides read the book. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, 
that's great. You know, they want to innovate. They want to solve problems. And, you know, there are infinite problems out there to be solved in, in infinite different industries, right? I mean, a lot of my experience was in the spine industry, but there's, you know, infinite other industries for people to solve in where they can bring their expertise. So I would say hone in and identify a, a root, like a real root problem and keep asking why is, and to see if that really is the root problem because so often it's not, it's just a symptom and you have to dig deeper and deeper and do it with someone else, you know, do it with mm-hmm. someone that you trust and value and, and you have some kind of rapport and relationship, do it together. And, and it's okay to, to miss, but challenge each other and explore together. And once you start identifying the real root problem, you'll probably start identifying solutions pretty quickly and easily. Wow. Wow. And, um, I, you know, you, you mentioned the teaming again, I really do feel that there's some extra energy that's unleashed when, when, when you share ideas in that trusting kind of environment with another person. Definitely. I mean, you know, two heads are better than one, um, that old cliche, but you know, there's things that you're going to see that I'm never going to see, you know, and until you shine light on it, that's when I finally get to see it. I get to see what your, what your perspective is. And then we can play with that together because you're, you have a whole different set of experiences from your entire life to date that I am not privy to, you know? So that's how working together. And and that's how, you know, I mentioned diversity, uh, equity, inclusion in the book, you know, someone with a, you know, Asian American background is going to have a totally different view of the world than someone you know, this Caucasian Jew last born, this is me, um, (laughs) background, you know? So um, just embracing this diversity, this is how, oh my God, I just can't stress enough. This is how our species is going to thrive when we work together this way. Yeah, what I think is really beautiful about the way you describe that is, I feel like a lot of times the diversity message gets a little bit lost and confused, right? It's like, oh, you know, if 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 uh, companies that are more diverse, it shows that they're more profitable or have a better return for investors. I mean, that's true. And I understand why that may be sexy and like, you know, get people to pay attention. But what you're saying is is the real deal. The reason why that is, is because you get the benefit of those different perspectives and experiences, not just by bringing different people in, but having an environment where those different people can all work together and communicate and, and yes, you know, a lot. Yes, I mean, exactly, exactly. That is what, and, and the inclusivity part, and of course, correct me if I'm, you know, missing, you know, definitions here. Um, but the inclusivity is we, we need to hear everybody's ideas, you know, it, just having them in the room. Okay. But that that's lip service, you know, mm-hmm. like let's get them involved and, and where everybody has a chance to share and be heard. And then let's see where it goes. Cause it's probably going to go somewhere pretty incredible. 
You know, it's 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 funny because I love how this is all kind of swirling, you know, together and back in on itself. You know, as a as an underrepresented professional myself, I want to be in an environment where I feel just as comfortable making a really stupid suggestion as someone who looks more like management, right? Like that's the environment I want to be in. Like it's not going to be used against me any differently. It won't be used against me at all, right? So no matter what you look like, your background, your education, your age, your disability, whatever, feel free to offer just as many bad ideas as the guy who looks like the CEO because we want all those ideas and you're not going to be punished for it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, um and, and we need these ideas. And, and again, you know, there's, there's details in the book about, um, you know, just having someone from, um, you know, production um, trying to, to work on the design of a spinal implant, you know, when they have so little experience in that area, um, it's going to be tough for them to add something, you know, really relevant. But, you know, when we're talking about processes and uh, culture around the company, and you know whatever each person's expertise is, we need to hear everybody's, you know, and we especially need to hear the people on the front line because they're the ones either working with the products or delivering the service and working with the customer. If we don't hear their ideas and and sift through them, I mean, we're we're cutting our nose off to spite our face. I mean. It, like the higher ups need to understand this. And, and that's, you know, I hope that, I hope that those people read the book as well, because it's going to take, it's going to help their, their entire workforce get to another level when they set that tone of real inclusivity. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we close and I ask you to share more about how people can learn about the book and connect with you, I, I had one last question I wanted to ask you about because this principle really resonated with me. Um, you talk about towards the end of the book about striking while the iron is hot, right? Like like the idea comes to you and, and sometimes, you know, you need to action it like right away, whatever that means. Can you talk to us a little bit more about why that's important and and like why you included that in the book because because that really resonated with me like that that actually is a, is an important oh, principle. Cool, cool, yeah. Well, you know, if you don't if you don't grab onto it when it happens, it could be gone in a second. You know, if I didn't grab onto this book idea in the middle of the night, that could have been gone. Um, uh, I don't want to give the the chapter away, but. Um, you know, a surgeon had an idea at a really odd moment in time, and and it turned into um, an incredible innovation that that changed the way minimally invasive spine surgery is done. If he didn't capture it right then and there, and then share it with others so that we could all work with it, it, it might have never happened. You know, ideas can be so fleeting, and if we don't if we don't pay attention and work with it, it's just, it's just too easy to lose it. You know, there's something I feel really powerful about bringing that idea from your mind 
into the world, whether it's speaking it out loud to another person, whether it's, you know, like in the movie, scribbling it on a napkin, or, you know, today it would be like, you know, typing it into your smartphone, kind of note-taking app, or like, you know, Siri, record this idea, or Google, record this idea. There's something I feel very powerful about, like giving it some corporeal quality, <laughs> lack of a better description. <laughs> bringing it from thought, you know, that thought energy into reality, making it real solid by writing it down or sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you think of an idea that you had that you, well, how often has it happened for you where you had an idea while you were driving in the car or um, cutting the grass or in the shower? um, And you're like, Oh, I'll remember that. That is such an amazing idea. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, God, what what was that? Has yeah, that ever yeah. happened to you? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. All yeah. the time. I mean, it, it happens to me all the time. Like, oh, I'll never forget this. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, and then you wake up and you're like, I have no idea what the topic even was you know, for that idea. You know, And it just happens. And hopefully it'll come back when you're not thinking too hard about it. Yeah. So write down those ideas, uh, share them with people and and, and get the benefit. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well, Kevin, it has been such a pleasure um, talking to you, uh, reuniting, uh, because we haven't seen each other in a while, learning more about your book. Thank you for sharing it with me. I loved reading it. Um, How can people learn more about the book and connect with you? Um, Where should they go? What should they do to, to, to get some additional information? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, definitely reach out to me. Uh, my website is kevinrstrauss.com. Um, you can Google Kevin Strauss. Um, I'm not a doctor and I'm not the storyteller, but you'll probably find me on Google because, you know, with all the patents and publications, you know, I should be easy to find. Um, and then definitely the book Innovate the 1% is on Amazon. Um, it's currently uh, free for the next couple days. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but free for the next couple days. But again, it's not expensive because I want, I want as many people as possible to uh, benefit from this insight so that they can solve the problems in their world. You know, thank you so much for being our guest, Kevin on executive presence morsels, special book edition. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another tasty Executive Presence morsel.